This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. We're in uh, Genesis chapter 4, and uh, we're going to cover most of that chapter today uh, the best we can. Center stage, Cain. It's kind of interesting as I as I was as I was studying this lesson, I I learned some things that I hadn't realized before in in uh, study of the this fourth chapter in the life of Cain, and um, I hope that maybe uh, we can teach some things today that will be uh, relatively new, perhaps maybe uh, surely encouraging and. Um, and applicable to our lives. Uh, we certainly don't want to pattern our life after Cain, more after Seth. And uh, so we'll, we'll get into that. But in this um, fourth chapter of the book of Genesis, we, we find this story of Cain, and, and, um, and it's not a pretty story, is it? Actually, chapter three was not a pretty story, but the truth is uh, none of this took God by surprise. Nothing ever takes God by surprise. I heard a, I heard a preacher say one time, has it ever occurred to you that nothing has occurred to God? And I thought, you know, there's a lot of truth in that statement. Nothing has ever occurred to God because he knows everything there is to know from the beginning to the end. And uh, he knew everything before the first word of the book of Genesis was ever recorded. And, um, and knows everything um, with regards to everything that's mentioned in the Bible, right on through to the eternal state. Uh, God is a wonderful God. Our Father, we pray that you will direct our thoughts this morning as we take this look into your word. May the Holy Spirit be our teacher. And I pray, God, that indeed we may learn some things today as the Spirit of God speaks to our hearts from your precious word. We pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Shakespeare wrote one time, All the world's a stage, and all the men and women merely players. They all have their exits and their entrances, and one man in his time plays many parts. You know, that's very true, what Shakespeare said. He was right. We all have roles to play in life, and God has, God has directed our drama of life. At least he should be directing it. The important thing is that we let God write the script. We let him choose the players in life and the cast and, and direct the action. If we disregard God and try to produce the drama ourselves, it'll surely end as a tragedy, and we don't want that. Well, that's what happened to Cain. That's what his problem was all about. That's what ruined him. Uh, the first baby born on the stage of planet Earth was Cain, and he ignored God. He did his own thing, he made a mess of the whole drama. So the spotlight is focused on Cain here in Genesis chapter 4. 
and uh, he's mentioned some 13 times in this chapter. Uh, Abel, his brother, is the co-star. And seven times in this chapter, he's identified as Cain's brother. And as we consider Cain and the roles that he's played, we have to understand the importance of letting God be the director of the drama of our life. Let God take control. And um, don't take it out of his hands. Uh, he's in control anyway. But the truth is that you and I can wrest control from him sometimes and mess it all up. So the first point in your outline today, Roman numeral one, is the brothers. And uh, we find written about the brothers in the first two verses of chapter four. Let's read these together. And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I've gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother, Abel. So what about these brothers? God commanded Adam and Eve, and we saw this earlier in our study. He commanded them to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. They did a good job of that. They obeyed that mandate back in, in, uh, uh, in the first chapter. He gave them uh, that command. And while it's true that the building of a family is not the only purpose for marriage, because not every marriage is blessed with children, uh, I know some very, I have some very good friends that uh, God has never, never blessed them with children. Um, many of you remember um, um, Pastor uh, Ernie Tanetti, Joe, Joe and Ernie Tanetti. God never gave them children for some reason. Evangelist um, Bill Hall and his wife have never had any children. Uh, God's in design, God's in design of that. He's, he's in charge of that. And, uh, and so that's not the only thing that results from marriage. Uh, there are other things that result from marriage. But children are precious. They're precious gifts from God. The Old Testament believers and the first century Christians would be desperately appalled at today's abortion statistics and the philosophies of the people that participate in those sort of things. And uh, it grieves my heart that Millions are, are murdered in the womb every year. And if our governor had his way, there would be others that would be murdered after the womb. Now that's a disgrace. That's a, dis, that's a disgusting situation. And to be very honest with you, the sooner we get rid of this governor, the better off we'll be, frankly, and his ilk. Well, anyway... Um, the Hebrew name Cain means acquired. And Eve praised God by saying, I have gotten a man from the Lord. She knew where, she knew where Cain came from. Uh, God provided that. Then her second child was Abel. And his name means breath. And so this Hebrew word uh, is translated, this Hebrew word uh, Abel is translated Vanity, uh, at least 38 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. And so Cain's name reminds us that life comes from God, um, which means acquired. And Abel's name reminds us that life is brief, and indeed it is. Uh, it's like a vapor, James tells us. It appears for a short time and then vanishes away. 
That's what life is about. Uh, God gives some of us 80 plus years. Some he takes uh, sooner than that. And that's all in God's care. And we would think that 80 some years is a long time. It does seem like long to us because you and I are confined uh, to time and space. And that's all we know is time and space. But the Bible tells us that, uh, that uh, a year is like 10,000 to the Lord. And uh, he's not confined to time and space. So anyway, life is brief as far as this life is concerned. The truth is that uh, uh, as far as compared to eternity, the time that God gives us here upon the earth is brief, and we ought to live it like that. We ought to live as if uh, we don't have a tomorrow and live serving God and loving God and being faithful to the Lord. Genesis is a family book. It says a lot about brothers in general. Uh, being the first son, Cain was special. Uh, but he lost everything because of sin. And so Seth took his place in uh, Genesis chapter 4, verse 25. Uh, there's that indication. Seth took his place. When we get to chapter 6 and talk about the, uh, the sons of God and the daughters of men, that's going to be an interesting study. We'll get there in a couple of weeks. Um, I believe that my position on that is that we're talking about the two lines, Cain's uh, wicked line and Seth's godly line. And, uh, and uh, we'll have a lot more to say about that to come, but just keep that in mind. Uh, Seth took, his, took a, a Cain's place. Ishmael was Abraham's firstborn, but God bypassed him and he chose Isaac. Esau was Isaac's firstborn son, but he was rejected for Jacob. And Jacob's firstborn son, Reuben, uh, was replaced by Joseph's two sons. Uh, go back to chapter 49, but don't turn there, but that's where you can find that story. In fact, God even rearranged the birth the birth order of Joseph's two sons in Genesis chapter 28. So throughout the Old Testament, throughout Old Testament history, God's sovereignty is displayed uh, in his choices of who receives his blessing. And for all that uh, we receive, re, we re, uh, for, all, for all that we receive uh, is because of God's marvelous grace. Everything that God gives us is is a result of his wonderful grace to, uh, to us. Another thing about the book of Genesis, especially here in chapter 4, but other chapters as well, is that sibling rivalry among brothers is another theme that we find throughout the book of Genesis. For example, Ishmael persecuted Isaac. Jacob left home to keep from being persecuted or killed by his brother Esau. Joseph's brother sold him into slavery. And so we see this recurring event, uh, this theme uh, that uh, follows us throughout the book of Genesis. So it is a family book. It's a, family, it's a, it's a record of uh, brothers and brothers. Kind of reminds me of what I heard about the Civil War, that brother was fighting brother during the Civil War and uh, so on. You know, when sin enters the human race, it produces dysfunction, fractioned families that only God can put together again. 
And uh, that's, that's this, I think that's the message that we see, uh, one of the messages at least that we see throughout the book of Genesis is um, rivalry and, and, um, and uh, sibling uh, problems. And that brings us to the second point, number two, the workers. In the last part of verse two here in chapter four, it says this, Abel was a keeper of the sheep and Cain was a tiller of the ground. Cain was a farmer and uh, Abel was a shepherd. At least uh, Cain was a farmer for a while, but that came to an end. And we'll talk about that in a few moments. Uh, as his sons grew, Adam, Adam put them to work in the field. He said, you got to work. And, um, uh, and Abel, as I mentioned, was a shepherd. He's the first of many shepherds that we read of throughout the Bible. David was a shepherd, as you'll remember. But Adam taught his sons, that, uh, sons why they should work. It was part of God's creation mandate to be co-laborers with God. Um, God said you shall work seven days, six days thou shalt work, and so on. That was part of his mandate. Work is not punishment that God imposed upon us because of sin. Uh, Adam worked in the garden before, his wife and, before he and his wife uh, were yielded to Satan's temptation. Uh, our, biblical our biblical attitude toward work ought to be that it's a privilege to cooperate with God by using the gifts that he gives to us. Every gift that you have, some of you here can do carpentry. Uh, some of you probably can do plumbing. Some of you can do other things uh, that I can't do. There are a lot of things that different people can do. Uh, God gives us different aptitudes and, and uh, different uh, gifts that we can use for his glory. But all of that needs to be used for God's glory. They're gifts that God gives us to use to partner with him in his work, in his ministry. You see, God needed Adam and Eve to help him, help him take care of that garden. Uh, God could have done it himself. God can do anything. But, but he chose Adam and Eve and uh, said, I want you to work along with me here and, uh, and be keepers of the garden and, uh, and so forth. And so they were. And so uh, the Bible has nothing good to say about idleness or lazy people who expect others to provide for them everything. Before he began his public ministry, Jesus worked as a carpenter. And the Apostle Paul, what did he do? He made tents, didn't he? He was a tent maker. And, uh, and so it's not a shame to work. It's a part of God's plan for our lives that we should work. Martin Luther told his uh, dairy maids that they could milk cows to the glory of God. Teddy Roosevelt made this statement. He said, the best prize that life offers is a chance to work hard at work worth doing. Analyze that statement for a little while. It's a pretty good statement. Now, the best uh, prize in life is, uh, life offers is a chance to work hard at work worth doing. Well, perhaps Cain and Abel asked their father why they had to work so hard. Why is this work so difficult? Well, I'm sure that Adam had to explain that 
God made it that way because of his sin. And so here's the father answering to his sons and saying, uh, you have to work as hard as you do because, because I made a bad choice in life. And uh, uh, that, that should be a lesson to us that uh, sometimes the choices that we make in life make it harder for other people. And that's one reason why it's so important for us to make the right choices in life. Then that brings us to the third point, the worshipers. In verses 3 through 7, we read of those. So let's read those verses. And in the, process of time, pro, excuse me, in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought the fruit of his ground, an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of the flock, and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and his offering he, he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? Uh, if thou doest well, uh, thou not, uh, uh, shalt thou not be accepted. And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And so we see them worshiping God. Uh, Cain's worship was not accepted. Uh, Cain was not right with God. That's the reason it wasn't accepted. But Adam and Eve worshipped God during those uh, wonderful years in the garden before they, their sin brought the, uh, the curse. And certainly they taught their children about the Lord and how important it was for them to worship God as well. And so we find Cain and Abel worshipping God. On Cain's part, it was an attempt at worship. On Abel's part, it was a genuine effort. Of worshiping, and God accepted uh, Abel's offering, but rejected Cain's offering. Why in the world would He do that? You know, workers need to be worshipers, uh, uh, unless they become idolaters, focusing on the gifts instead of the giver, and forgetting that God gives power to work and to gain wealth. When God clothed Adam and Eve uh, with the skin, the skins of the animals, back in Genesis chapter 3, that was part of last week's lesson, he told them about sacrifices and, and the shedding of blood, truths that would have, um, uh, uh, truths that they would have passed along to their children, perhaps. And God accepted Abel and his sacrifice and indicated that by, by, uh, by a fire that he sent to consume the animal sacrifice that Abel brought. But he rejected Cain and his sacrifice. Not because of the offering. Uh, Cain brought an offering of, of his work, the labor of his hands, as well as, as Abel did. But his heart was not right with God. And that's why God rejected his sacrifice. Not because of the sacrifice itself. Uh, it was by faith that Abel offered a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain did. We find that back in, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4 tells us that. And uh, there, there are a lot of places in the Bible uh, that talks about Cain and Abel. And uh, we don't have time to get into all those verses of Scripture. I'm going to refer to a few of them, but here's one of them. 
And we find out that the reason God accepted Abel's sacrifice is because he did it by faith. He had faith in the God that he was worshiping. Cain had more faith in his own self. And he was, uh, uh, he was enamored with himself. And he ser was serving himself instead of serving God. And that's the reason why his sacrifice was rejected. As for Cain, even if he had brought animal sacrifices and shed their blood, they would, have not, have been, they would not have been accepted because, by God because of the state of his heart. Abel brought the best that he had and truly sought to please God, but Cain, Cain didn't have that attitude of faith. Uh, Samuel, uh, in 1 Samuel, wrote this. He says, Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And, and to heed uh, than the fat of rams. Well, Cain wasn't obeying God. Had no intentions of obeying God. He rejected God. And I think we'll see that more fully as this chapter unfolds before us. But the fact that people attend religious meetings, participate in church activities, that's no proof that they're true believers. Somebody asked me, I went to a pastor's fellowship Friday and a uh, bunch of preachers standing around talking. And one of the preachers who was an evangelist asked me this question. He said, Pastor Coles, Brother Coles, he called me. He says, how many people in our churches today do you think are really saved? I don't know how to answer that question. I don't know. I can't see, I can't see everybody's heart. I don't know. I can see their fruits. And the Bible says, by their fruits you shall know them. I can see some people that there's no fruit in their life. They claim to be Christians, but all they want to do is just warm a spot on a pew, you know, and, and then leave and live their life. And I don't know if they're saved or not. I, I don't know their heart. God knows their heart. I remember when I was in college, that's a couple days ago. Well, maybe four or five days ago. Uh, I remember reading something about R.A. Torrey one time. R.A. Torrey was a great evangelist. It was a generation before me. And uh, I'm not sure when he died. I think early 1900s, if I'm not mistaken. But R.A. Torrey uh, was asked that question. He was asked, how many people do you think really that are professing believers are actually born again? And Ari Torrey made this statement, and when I read it, I was shocked, actually. He says, I believe that only about 10% that profess to be Christian are actually born again. I don't know if that's true or not. I, I, I just don't know. But the truth is, there are people today, I believe, that they can look like Christians, they smell like Christians, they act like Christians to some degree, but they're not Christians. They have a form of godliness, but never experience the saving power of it. Or God says, this people draw near me with their mouth, and with their lips do honor me, but, but have moved their heart, removed their hearts far from me. That's found in Isaiah chapter 29. And so the costliest sacrifices, apart from the submission of the heart, cannot make the worshiper right before God. And so in Jude, verse 11, it speaks of the way of Cain. And the way of Cain is the way of self-will and the way of unbelief. 
When God rejected Cain's offering, Cain became incredibly angry. In fact, the Hebrew word there in that verse where it says he, he came angry implies that he was burning with anger. That's the sense of that Hebrew word, burning with anger because God rejected his offering. You know, the scripture tells us in the book of Matthew that at the last day there's going to be people stand before God and say, Lord, Lord. God says, say, Lord, Lord, have we, have we not served you? Have we not done these wonderful works in your name? And Jesus is going to look at them and say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. By the way, make sure you're saved. Make sure you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. And you're not just making a pretense of it, you know, of your life. Make sure you know Christ. I'm not trying to get anybody to doubt their salvation. I don't want to do that. Uh, but you need to make sure that you're in Christ. When I got saved as a teenager, there was a dramatic change that took place in my life. Um, I had no interest in reading the Bible when I was in high school. I got saved the beginning of my senior year of high school. I, I didn't have much and I, I was religious I went to church every Sunday my parents saw to it that I did and uh, I, I was religious you know and I went through all the motions I got baptized as a little baby well they called it christening um, means the same thing but of course it's not believers but it wasn't believers baptism for me and, and you know I, I thought you know I'm, I'm okay but I had the idea, you know, if I, if, I, if I do enough good works, I'll get on God's good side. You know, I kind of looked at life as a scale, one of those balances like, you know. And every time I did something bad, God put it over here on this side and it kind of tipped the scale this way. Then I'd do something else and God put it on the other side and it tipped this way. And I thought as long as I did enough good works and the scale was tipping like this, when I died, I'd go and get, I was going to get in heaven. I found out it didn't have anything to do with scales. Didn't have anything to do with what was on this side or on that side. But it had all to do with what Jesus Christ did on the cross because when he was on the cross, he did away with everything that was on that side. When I got in him, when I got saved as a senior in high school, I started reading the Bible. In fact, I couldn't put it down. I started reading the Bible, and, 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 I, and I, start, I started witnessing. Nobody told me I had to witness. I was in a church that didn't, didn't make any difference whether you did that or not. Nobody told me I needed a witness, but I, but I needed inside. I knew I needed to tell somebody I was a Christian. So I started telling some of my classmates, you know. You know, I, I got saved. I trusted Christ as my Savior. Well, some of them thought that was wonderful. And I found out that they too were Christians. But some of the rest of them looked at me down their nose, you know, and they walked away from me and never saw them again. I didn't leave them, they left me. And um, I got a whole new set of friends. Well, some of them, they were already my friends, some of them, but they became more of a friend when they found out that we had a bond in Christ. And uh, when uh, I got my English teacher to sign my my annual, my 
your book. And you know what he put in it? To my conscientious objector. I got to think, what do you mean by that? Well, he meant by that that I wouldn't go along with some of the things he did and said. And, and he found out, you know, that, that uh, I wasn't quite like him. He, was not, he, he would use a curse word occasionally, not in class, but, you know, just in general conversation. And, uh, and, and he, he wasn't saved, but he knew that there was something different, something had happened to me, something different. Well, you know, I, I see people today that make a profession of faith and nothing changes. They still do the same thing. Same words still come out of their mouth. Still have the same attitude. Uh, their lifestyles never changes. It's just the same. Uh, they may go to church once in a while. I kind of wonder about people like that. Did they really get saved? I don't know. Um, I don't know. I, I digressed here a little bit. But that's what Cain was like. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about Cain form of godliness, but denied the power of it. So the Lord warned Cain that temptation was like a fierce beast crouching at the door of his life, and he better not open the door and let it in. It's dangerous to carry grudges and harbor bitter feelings like Cain did toward his brother. In our hearts, uh, cover, carry those things in our hearts, because Satan will use that to lead us into temptation and to sin. And I think that's why Paul wrote, neither give place to the devil. If we're not careful, we can bring about our own ruin, folks. And that brings us to the next point, number five, the murderer, verses eight uh, through 10. It says, and Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, where is, thy, where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, by the way, that's not what the King James says. I just kind of used my own words right there. I better read what the Bible says. I'm sorry. I can't hear you. Oh, the part I threw in. You can read that in your Bible? Well, well he said... Uh, uh, in verse 9, he says, the Lord said, where's Cain? Uh, where is Abel, thy brother? He said, I know. I, he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? That's almost what I said, isn't it? <laughs> All right. Um, and then in verse 10, and, and he said, uh, what hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth out, uh, crieth unto me from the ground. And so, Cain slew his brother, Abel, killed him, murdered him. Wow. You know, our relationship with, with God always affects our relationship with our brothers and sisters. And not, not only our brothers and sisters of the flesh, but our brothers and sisters in Christ. You know why brothers and sisters in Christ have conflicts? It's because somebody's not walking with the Lord. Now, I remember, I, I, I know that that um, that Paul had a conflict with with uh, with John Mark. We know about that. We read it in the Bible, and I don't that I, that wasn't a result of 
uh, either one of them, I think not being right with, with the Lord, I think it was just a lack of their understanding of what God wanted because God separated them for a purpose. And both of them went their way for a while and really did a wonderful work for God. And at the end of Paul's life, he, he looked back at John Mark's life and says, you know, this guy, he really turned out to be something. Well, he wouldn't go with the work with us. He, 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 went, he went with us on that first missionary journey, but he quit a few days into it and went home. And uh, when Barnabas came to him, they started a second missionary journey. He said, we're going to take John Mark. And, and uh, Paul said, no, we're not. He quit. He's a quitter. And Barnabas says, oh, yes, we are. No, we're not. Yes, we are. No, we're not. And Paul says, okay, then you go your way and take Mark with you. And I'm going to go my way and take Silas with me. And God had a plan. And, uh, and so they, they separated. It, was, uh, it wasn't a doctrinal issue that they had. It was a personality issue that they had. But generally speaking, when brothers and sisters in Christ or even brothers and sisters in the flesh have conflicts, serious conflicts. Now we have differences of opinions and all of us do. I, Gene Sarah and I don't believe alike on some things. I'm not sure what it is, but, <laughs> but I can guarantee there's somewhere along the line that we would disagree. He probably thinks it's uh, 10 o'clock, but I think it's a few minutes before 12. <laughs> but that's his mental. I mean, that's, uh, that's his problem, not mine. Uh, you know, um, we have differences of opinions, and we ought to. You know, we, we can share opinions and learn some, some things. A lot of times that I've had an opinion about something, and after talking with the person had a different opinion than I did, I've changed my opinion. And I've had the same experience in the opposite way. You know, I've had a certain opinion. Somebody else had something different, and we talked about it. And they say, you know, preacher, you're right. And, of course, <clears throat> I have to be careful when that happens because I could get like Cain if I did, you know. Why did I get off on that? Where am I? Where did I leave off here? Were we talking about the murderer yet? Ah, I think we were. Okay. All right, let's talk about the murder. Verse 8. Anger is a powerful emotion that can lead to violence and even murder. Jesus taught that anger in our heart is the moral equivalent of, of a murder with our hands. We read about that in Matthew chapter 5. I think pastors preached on that recently. Every year, angry drivers cause accidents that kill 28,000 people on our highways every year. Angry people who've been fired from their jobs have killed hundreds of people, innocent people. Had Cain heeded God's warning and accepted his gracious invitation, he never would have become a murderer. I wonder how soon after his sacrifice was rejected that Cain enticed his brother away from home to kill him. Was it the same day? Or did he stew over it in his anger for a few days? He probably murdered his brother in his heart many times before he actually put his hands on him. He was envious because of Abel, Abel's relationship with God, and yet Cain was unwilling to get right with God. And when, when we hate others, 
it's a sign that we're not walking with God and we don't have God's love in our heart. There is a passage that I want us to look at in 1 John about Abel, Cain and Abel. Turn over to 1 John chapter 3 and let me read here a few verses with you. In 1 John chapter 3, beginning at verse 10, it says this. In this the children of God are manifested, the children of the devil, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither hath neither he that loveth not his brother. For this is the message that ye heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. And then John brings up Cain and Abel, their relationship. Look at what he says in verse 12. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one. I have underlined in my Bible those three words, that wicked one. Cain was of that wicked one and slew his brother. And wherefore slew him? Why did he slay him? Because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. See, Cain had a hatred for his brother because God had accepted his brother's sacrifice and rejected his sacrifice. He was jealous of Abel's relationship with God. Abel reflected God in his life. Do you know that's why some people hate you? It's because you dare to live for God. That's why we're seeing some of the persecution that we're seeing today of Christians. Because we stand for something. We stand for what's right. We stand for the Word of God, for moral things, for righteous things. And people who don't stand for those things hate us for that. And that's the reason why there have been a lot of people martyred. Because of that very thing. It's the old problem that goes back to the Garden of Eden or post-Garden of Eden with Cain and Abel. They set, the, they, they set the, the example for the world. Verse 13 says, Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. Uh, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother and abideth in death, and whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Cain didn't. Cain hadn't uh, received Christ. He hadn't accepted God. wasn't following God. Anyway, this brings us to the next point, letter B, lying. Verses 9 and 10. Uh, let me get back here to Genesis chapter 4. You know, when you have to flip from the last part, last verse of the last chapter of the Bible to the first chapter, sometimes it takes you a little while to get back there. Verses 9 and 10. Oh, I, I've already read those verses. I'm not going to read them again. Okay. So here we see in uh, John chapter 3 that Cain is called child of the devil, of that wicked one, which means he was a murderer and a liar. Isn't that what Jesus said about the devil? In John 8, 44, Jesus called him a murderer and called him a liar. They're the deeds of Satan. He lied to his brother when he enticed him to the place where he killed him. He lied to himself in thinking that he could uh, do such a thing and get by with it. 
He lied to God to cover it up. He tried to lie to God. He couldn't lie to God. God knew where he was and what he was saying, what he was thinking. You know, there's a definite parallel between God's dealings with Cain in chapter 4, Genesis chapter 4. You know what? I'm going to skip over that because uh, I, I'm, as, as always is the case, I'm running out of time here. In fact, I think maybe that part of the notes is in yours anyway. Um, but anyway, let's go to the wanderer, verse 5, uh, number 5, Roman numeral 5. In verses 11 through 15, beginning at verse 11, it says this, And now art thou cursed from the earth, uh, which hath opened her mouth and received thy brother's blood from thy hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. And Cain said unto God, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth, and from thy face shall I be hid. And I shall be a fugitive and a, va a vagabond in the earth. And it shall come to pass that every one that findeth me shall slay me. And the Lord said unto him, Therefore, uh, whosoever slayeth Cain, uh, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should should kill him. Well, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? A vagabond, a vagabond has no home. He's homeless. A fugitive runs from the home that he has. A stranger is away from home, but a pilgrim is heading, heading home. That's us. Heading home. Cain made the wrong choices, and instead of being a pilgrim, he became a stranger and a fugitive wandering throughout the land. So it's God's curse, verse 12. It's God's curse. Um, God cursed the serpent, verse th uh, chapter 3, verse 14. He cursed the ground, chapter 3, verse 17. But you know, he, he didn't curse Adam and Eve. However, he did curse their son, Cain, because he was a child of the devil. Cain defiled the ground with his blood, brother's blood. And now the ground wouldn't work for him anymore. He was a farmer, remember? And now the, work, the ground won't work for him anymore. When Adam toiled and struggled day after day, he got a harvest. But not Cain. There would never be fruit from, the, from his labors anymore. So he couldn't continue as a farmer. All he could do was wander around from place to place and try to make a living. He's a vagabond, a wanderer. And so Cain has some regrets in verses 13 and 14. Cain never repented of his sins. He only showed remorse and regret. He did not say, my guilt is more than I can bear. He was more concerned with his punishment, not his character. His character didn't mean much to him. He was just concerned that God's punishment was more than he could bear, not his guilt. If he wandered from place to place, uh, he was in danger. But if he stayed in one place, he would starve. The earth turned against him. God turned against him. People turned against him. Anybody Cain met would be a relative who might want to avenge Abel's murder. So what could he do? By hating and murdering his brother, 
he refused to repent. Cain created an intolerant life for himself. He opened the door to temptation. He closed the door on the family of God and all the good uh, for his future. No matter where he lived or what he did, Cain would always be restless. A restless man from whom there was no remedy. But notice verse 15. It's God's mercy. Letter C. God's mercy. God did a strange thing here. He put a mark on Cain. He put a mark on him to protect him. That sure is the mercy of God. You know, I thank God that he is a merciful God. I think of all those years that I was unsaved up until my senior year in high school. I wasn't a Christian. I made a pretense of being a Christian. But you know, God protected me all those years. Let me tell you, let me give you this testimony. Good night, it's three minutes after 12. All right, I'll give you this testimony and then we'll fill in the rest of the blanks and go home. Okay, deal? I had no intention to going to college when I was in high school until after I got saved my last year. But it was kind of interesting, <clears throat> and I have no idea why all of this happened. You know, when you go to college, if you have some deficiencies, you have to make them up. You know, you're supposed to take a language ahead of time, and, and uh, certain courses you should take in preparation for going into the university, you know. Well, I, I was going to go into the Navy, and all you had to do there is just paddle a boat. But you know what? Somewhere, for some strange reason, I took every course in high school that I needed to enter college without any deficiencies. And I look back on that and say, why did I do that? I'll tell you why I did it. It's because even though I was not a child of God at the time, God was still protecting me. God is a God of mercy, God of grace. God in his mercy withholds from us things that we deserve. But God with his grace gives us things that we don't deserve. God was very gracious to me. And when I entered college my freshman year, I had no deficiencies. I went, boom, right into it. Now, I had to take bonehead English. I had to refresh some English. But that wasn't a deficiency. It was just I needed to take a little refresher course in some English stuff. And, uh, and that's what happened to Cain. God was still being merciful and gracious to Cain even though he had rejected him. Oh, thank God. And then uh, Roman numeral number six, the builder, verses 16 through 24. And you can read those verses. He made a city. He made a city. And uh, he called the city Enoch after his son. His son was named Enoch. And I, I intentionally left a lot of these notes in your notes so you can read them because, because, because of this very thing. I get to the end of the notes and um, don't have time to give them so you can read them, okay? And so um, he has these regrets, God's mercy, uh, the builder, his city, and then letter B is his descendants, and his descendants are listed here. 
So read those, and, and uh, I hope you'll read them, and, and study that passage. Uh, it's a good passage of Scripture. There are several things there that, uh, in, in these notes that I hope would be a blessing to you. Let's pray. Our Father, we're so thankful for that while we have a bad example set before us here in Cain's life, we can learn from that and learn, God, that choices that we make in life impact those who follow us. And we see that even in Cain's heritage here. Lord, everything Cain did was destroyed in the flood. There's nothing lingering of Cain's ministry. But of Seth's life, we see, Lord, that that resulted in Noah and his three sons who gave new birth to the earth. A new life came along with, uh, with um, a life of righteousness, and, and, uh, and we see the result of that even today. So God, help us in our lives to follow, not to follow the way of Cain, but to be a godly line and, and establish a godly, godly line. Most of these people, Lord, that I'm speaking to today, whether here in the auditorium or by live stream, most, uh, most, I believe, Lord, have, have tried to do that, to establish a godly line that their children and their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren can follow. And so, God, I pray that you will bless our effort in that, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened and God's Word has had an impact on your life as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.